Thomas, thank you for joining us. Thank you also to our audience for joining us. Um, where do we find you this evening, please? As you can see, I'm, I'm in my living room. Um, these are my two guardians, the, the crab and the pineapple, which, um, yeah, ward off evil spirits, basically. They're on your heraldic shield, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And um, we've had a few comments about your wallpaper. You didn't, uh, you didn't actually do that, did you? I didn't. It exists. It isn't one of those virtual backgrounds, um, <laughs> you know, like a, I'm not like a beach or something like that that you can do. It's as whoever had the house before had done it, and um, but it looks all right. So yeah, left it there. Very nice. Compliments to that person. Um, so I think most of us will have had a chance to listen to Beyond the Pale, which came out last week. Yeah. Um, but a lot of us will have heard these songs evolve over um, the past couple of years, really, because you've been playing them live, haven't you? That's how they've developed. You called it an alive album. Yeah, I think you came to one of those early shows, didn't you, Laura? I think, did you come to one in Ramsgate? I snuck into one in Ramsgate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the idea was, it was just, I had ideas for songs. Um, some were more finished than others. I got invited to do a show in Iceland by the group Sigur Ross. They were having a festival. And um, I don't know, I, I was about to say no because I didn't have a band. And then I just thought, oh, I'll just say yes. And then that started the whole ball rolling. And um, I don't know, you look, I should have known it because I've been in a band since the age of 14. But as soon as you play songs to people, then they actually become real songs because that's why I think music is a form of communication. It's a, a social thing. You know, some people reckon that we were making music before we learned to talk, you know, that music predates language. So, um, yeah, I, I, as soon as we started playing, it seemed like the songs then started to take on a life of their own. And that's always the exciting part of being a songwriter, when it doesn't seem like you're having to push it anymore, when it suddenly seems to get up and start jumping around and then you're just trying to catch it and make it behave itself, yeah. Um, are there some examples on the record that you don't think would have been, um, would have taken shape the way that they have if they'd just been recorded in the studio? Yeah, most of them, to be honest, because if you take, for instance, the song Must I Evolve, which is the first one that we release, and mm -hmm. um, when I, I, I listened back to a recording that we'd done in a cave, not far from where I'm speaking to you now, only about five miles away. And um, I thought that like musically it was really great. I thought we've, that song's ready now. But then when I listened to the way that I'd sung it, I'd kind of, some of the words, I'd kind of taken a pause in between, probably because I was trying to remember what the next line was or something like that. Um, Cause I'd written loads of lyrics for that song. And um, it, it was almost like I ed edited it live because every time we performed it different bits would come into my mind and then eventually the bits that I liked most kept coming more than the other bits if you know what I mean so anyway I listened to this performance I thought oh, I knew I had to re-sing it because the quality of the vocal wasn't so great because it picked up all the noise in the room and all that business technical business so I thought well, when I sing it I'll I'll put those two lines that are now separate from each other, I'll put them together and, and I can do all that. But as soon as I tried to do that, the song kind of fell apart. And so I, I kind of realized right at the start that I had to 
when we got a, a version that I liked, I had to kind of accept that I liked it for a reason and that where I'd sung it was part of that. And so I just left it. I didn't, I didn't uh, fiddle with it anymore after that. And how's it felt to be more in a band than probably for the, for the, um, your previous albums have been under your, just under Jarvis Cocker. Um, now you are Jarvis and the band seem a really integral part of, of making these, rep these songs. Yes, definitely. Uh, um, I know it's hard to convince people that it's a band when it's basically my name with a <laughs> yeah. Originally, the, I wanted to call it Jarv because I thought that sounded like, I don't know, like a thing, you know, like, uh, like lava or something like that. I don't know, it sounded like a substance. But my um, manager, Jeanette, said it, it sounded too much like I was trying to be over familiar with people and like maybe slightly, you know, invading people's personal space in name form. So I always take notice of what Jeanette says because she's really clever. So um, I, so I said, well, can I get away with Jarvis then? And she kind of would let that pass. So um, that was what the band was called. And, but, but definitely, yeah, I mean, the band came together very quickly. As I say, it was, there was this deadline of this concert to do, but uh, somehow I, I kind of, I'm very happy that I made the right decision. I, I asked Serafina first, Serafina's dear, she plays the keyboards and plays the harp. I, I produced a record for her and I, I just like her songwriting. You know, she, she's done albums of her own and, and she plays the harp, which isn't a, a, a normal, rock instrument, I suppose. But I thought that'd be really good. I, I wanted to try and avoid guitar as much as possible. I can't really say exactly why. Maybe it's too male. You know, they're always saying like the guitar is like a phallic symbol or something, I don't know. But um, I just wanted to kind of avoid that. And a harp's got like strings. So it's like a really giant guitar, you know, but without all the kind of cock rock connotations of it. Um, so, and then she brought Emma, who plays, whose main instrument is the violin. So straight away, the main kind of melodic instruments in the band were not exactly what you would expect. And that kind of set us off on the right foot, I thought. And then the, the rhythm section and, and Adam and Andrew, they'd played a Scott Walker prom that I'd been part of and I'd been really impressed with them. So I knew they were very solid. So it, that was like the two halves of the band, really. The, 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 maybe an unusual melodic thing and then a very solid rhythm thing. And then uh, yeah, Serafina and Emma gave you that, that sort of Cohen-esque chorus, didn't they, too? Well, that, that came after, see, in Pulp, no one ever admitted to being able to sing. <laughs> and some people said I couldn't, but, um, but, you know, the rest of the band just wouldn't sing back and forth because they, they, they'd claimed not to be able to sing. It's a total lie because some of them have gone on to be in other bands and they actually do sing. So maybe, I don't know what it was, but everybody in this band basically can sing. And especially, as you say, with Emma and Serafina, um, I think that started off again with that song, Must I Evolve, which was the first one that we finished. When we were first playing that, I was just doing the Must I Evolve, Must I Change, and then I think it was Serafina just started singing, yes, 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 yes. I mean, kind of taking the piss out of me, I suppose. Um, 
But then I thought that's made the song much more interesting rather than it just being a monologue. It was sort of like a conversation between the band and I'd never been able to do that before. And so once I realized that was a possibility, I kind of got really excited about writing songs in that way. Um, and the next single is House Music All Night Long, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's one of my favorites, which is because you rhyme knuckles with knuckles and also you mention badgers. Um, in fact, actually, can we have a poll? I don't know if the technology people are listening. Can we do poll number one, please? Which uh, relates to this song. Okay. Let's see if they can do it. Do we have the technology? Yes, we do. Oh, right, okay. There we are. There, are. there are four things that appear in that song. World of Interiors, Pedal Bin, Frankie Knuckles and Badgers. So you can all vote on, uh, on which one you like best. I don't oh, know how long the poll stays up for. This is exciting, isn't it? Well, host, isn't it? unfortunately, host and panellists can't vote. I know. Which one would you go for, though? Well, I'm not going to say because I think there's, it's a trick question. Interesting. Yeah, you can't bias the, um, we can't sway the result. Um, have people voted? Should we close it? This is good because this is like, uh, this is like house party where you can play quizzes halfway through. Oh, it? yes. It's very much like that, isn't it? Yeah. It's slightly more badly dressed. It's gone but away now. You should stress that it's not going to steal money from people's bank accounts. Can't, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. They've, they've grasped that because Badgers has won. Well done, everybody. Thank you. 44% uh, went for Badgers. Um, only 10% for World of Interiors. Can you tell us now which one you would have gone for? Well, that's why I say it's a trick question because two of those are from House Music All Night Long and two are from... Oh, sorry, yeah. Both. Sorry. Oh, that's terrible news journalism, isn't it? That is a trick question. Um, but yeah, Badgers. Yeah, I like Badgers. You me Badgers, but I was going to say that that song really came into its own in lockdown, didn't it? House music all night long, yeah. Well, a lot of people said that. The first time I heard it was Emma, the violinist. One of her best friends got the coronavirus quite early on and had to stay at home and, and all that and, um, and said that the song had, she'd listened to it and thought, oh, it really describes what I'm having to do now. So, yeah, I was alerted to that quite early on. I, I'm not uh, a mystic who can see into the future. So I, I didn't see the coronavirus coming. And if I had, I wouldn't have written a song about it probably. I just would have moved. But I don't know. I, it, it, it was it was a funny thing that because obviously when you write a song, you kind of want the point of writing songs is to try and write about the world that you live in, and it's you want people to find them applicable to their own experience. That's you know what we were saying at the very start that that music is a form of communication, a kind of social thing that we do. Um, so. I was kind of, one part of me was pleased that that song was saying something to people, but then another part of me was thinking, well, you know, we're in a pandemic, so that's not really something to be kind of in the air about, you know, so yeah, um, strange feeling. But, but it's been, been strange over these last few months anyway, hasn't it? It has been a bit odd, but you seem to have thrived in, you've been doing your discos. 
and yeah. you can bring your bedtime stories. Yeah. Have you enjoyed the restriction of it? I enjoy, but I mean, I was just, I felt that I was lucky that I think creation is always, I, I think people have often used it to escape from things or as a way of losing yourself in making something. Mm -hmm. I really found that out, you know, years ago, I did this program about outsider artists, you know, so outsider artists are people who make art, but they've not had any artistic training. They've not been to an art college or something. And very often there'll be people who might be in an institution or, or something like that. And they, they're given like some materials, almost like art therapy, go and do something. But <clears throat> this program that I did, years ago with with a filmmaker called martin wallace we, we traveled around and spoke to people who made you know one guy had covered his house with broken pipes another guy had made loads and loads of statues out in the middle of the forest where no one could see them and wherever possible i would ask people you know why did you do this and they would never be able to answer why and that was really frustrating for me because I was trying to be like an investigative journalist and nobody would answer my question. But, but then eventually I realized the reason they couldn't answer that question was because they never asked that question to themselves because the doing of it was pleasurable and so why wouldn't they do it? It wasn't like they were doing it for a reason, they were just doing it because it felt good, it was a nice feeling. And so I think that a lot of people rediscovered that a bit in lockdown that that was a way of making them cope with the situation better by you know some people would dress in period costume for a zoom call or something like that you know that's a creative thing people are thinking things up for themselves and and getting some pleasure out of it um that in a vague tangential way leads me to my next question which is also about restriction and pleasure but that song also has this um, element that I've seen or heard in, in your music for years, which is this idea of desire and something stopping you from reaching that desire, that unmet desire. Are there other works of art that, that represent that for you? Is that a fuzzy question? Well, that frustration. Sexual frustration is basically what I'm asking. <laughs> no, what, um, are there other works of art, whether it's music or books or film or literature, that, that seem a good representation? that to you? That's a very good question Laura but I'm just trying to think. Um, nothing is really coming to my mind straight off. I mean that was part of why I started writing songs I suppose. Um, as a kid I listened to the radio. Also. The radio was always on in the house when I was a kid. When we were getting ready for school it would be like radio 2 playing pop songs of the day and stuff like that and so I grew up with pop music kind of constantly being there. And, you know, most pop lyrics are pretty simplistic uh, or they, you know, they, they paint a pretty one dimensional uh, view of relationships. And when I started to attempt to have relationships uh, in my teens, I was horrified by how the, the fact that pop songs really hadn't prepared me at all for what a relationship was really like. And, um, and really, I suppose you shouldn't really expect, uh, maybe you shouldn't expect songs to do that for you, but I did for whatever reason. And so you talk about that 
frustration thing. I suppose I was feeling that at the time. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe I could put that into songs. Not like a public service or something, but maybe I could try and put that in because that's a re that's a reality to me, and I'm sure I can't be that alone in feeling that. So uh, there was a gap in the market. I can't say that I've totally cornered it, but I mean, um, you've done pretty well. <laughs> you should have done a poll on that. Well, I, I don't know what that says about me. That, I, I don't know whether it's a, a great title to have, King of King of Sexual Frustration. I don't know. I think if you were in a t-shirt, everyone, everyone would want one. Should we do, um, now this is a multimedia uh, exercise that you, know, yeah. you decided to, to introduce. We're going to do a thing. Do you want to introduce it? And I'll just do the technical wizardry. Well, I, I just, when I knew we were doing our conversation today, um, it reminded me of the last time that I saw you, which was you were hosting a tent at the Green Man Festival. It was more of a marquee, it wasn't just a tent. Mm -hmm. It was more of a marquee, it wasn't just my tent. I should make that quite clear. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, my, a marquee, yeah. The big tent. A big tent. Yeah, okay, and um, and I did a, a talk, sometimes I do like a PowerPoint presentation, and part of that's about creativity, and one of the things that I think about that is that part of recognising your own creativity is recognising the fact that when you look at something, you can have 10 people all look at the same thing, but depending on what's going on in those people's heads, they won't, they might see 10 different things. They're, so we all think that we see the same world, and I guess we do, but we reconstruct the world inside our heads, depending on lots of things, cultural background, experiences, blah, blah, blah. So in the spirit of that thing, I thought we could show some pictures mm -hmm. and invite the uh, audience to say what those pictures are. I could give some options. Okay. Easier maybe, like your multiple choice thing earlier. But let's yeah. have a quick picture. Let's, number do, one. let's do number one, this one. Yeah. Okay. So this one, what, is, what are you looking at? Now, generally people will say a woman's face. But if I was to say to you, no, you're looking at a saxophone player in profile, would you then see that? And actually, if I say woman's face, you see the woman's face. If I say saxophone player, you see the saxophone player. So there we're just getting a very, very simple example of it, how you can, your brain, you're looking at exactly the same picture. The picture isn't changing. It's your perception of the picture that is changing. It's a trick for the facet of, of human nature that's existed forever, I think. And this is, this is two, I think. Yeah, so this one, look at that. Now, when you look at this, maybe you say to yourself, I'm seeing the moons of Saturn. Maybe you say to yourself, I am seeing sections through corroded metal bars. But if I was to tell you what you're actually looking at is the underside of six frying pans, would you have guessed that straight away? But that is actually what you're looking at. You're looking at 
the bottom of six frying pans. Okay, here's, here's number three. Here we are, a luxury apartment. Who wouldn't want to live in a fantastic minimalist wooden lined apartment like that? Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't like to live in it because to live in that, I would have had to shrink to the size of a mouse because you're actually looking inside an acoustic guitar. Ah, we've got a few they people. The round hole, the sound hole, and here there are the pegs where the string would go in. Well done. There are a few. We should have got that. that. I saw that. They'll get an extra. Surprise. Yeah. So they. I mean, these are a bit of fun, but I think. Uh, all right. This can be the last one. This is. Uh, are you looking? Are you looking at a microscopic image of wood bark? Are you looking at someone with a severely dry skin uh, who needs to use some uh, heavy-duty moisturizer? Ah, uh, oh, well, Rebecca just said that it's a city grid. It is. It's actually New Delhi seen from above. But That's I mean, it. look at it. Not one green space. That's like a tiny blue swimming pool, isn't there? Is that? All right. Okay. Thank Anyway, so thanks a lot. Uh, I think that's, you know, that, that is, a, we all see, we see the same world, but we construct it inside our heads in different ways. And that actually is creativity. It's seeing the world and making it into something. In a way, most of it's unconscious. And that's what I've come to see about it. That um, I try to write songs as plainly as possible without using very many adjectives or anything. Just, I tried to say what I see as they say in catchphrase or whatever, but um, somehow it comes out in a certain way, which is obviously the way that my mind is constructed and skewed. And that's what any artist will do, I think. So swanky modes, talking of saying what you see. Yeah. Um, I love, I really love that song. Um, that was an actual shop in Camden, wasn't it? Swanky Modes was a women's clothes shop in just off the top of the Camden Road, yeah. Um, and I lived, when I first moved to London to go to college, I'd been to Camden maybe like three or four times uh, on family trips and I just thought it was like the most sophisticated, exciting place in the world. So I really wanted to live there and I tried to get a flat there and it fell through and that's how I ended up squatting when I first came to London. Anyway, that's another story. but. Eventually, towards the end of being at college, I ended up in like a shared house in a housing association thing. The main person in the house was a drug dealer, so it was a slightly random household. So, um, but I just remember from that time, this shop, Swanky Modes, wasn't that far away. I never went into it because, um, it, as I say, it was just women's clothes. Uh, and, you know, I... I didn't wear women's clothes and um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that obviously but um, I don't know the name of course sticks in your mind and, and um, but why it suddenly came back into my mind 30 years later and became a song that's something that I don't know and, and again that's another thing I guess that's another one of those mysteries of creativity you know what how why would an idea or a place just 
be there stored away in your mind for all that time and then suddenly come to the front and go, hey, make a song out of me. But, you know, it did. So. I wonder yeah. what it's like for you now if ever you go to Camden, because that was sort of such a particular time, it must have been in your life. I do. No, I still go to Camden quite a lot. I get, I get quite a lot of my clothes from Camden. I can't tell you the name of the shop because, uh, I, but it's not like, you know, Cyber Dog or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's not that far away from there, though. There's a second-hand clothes shop that I, I like very much in, in the market. I hope it, I hope he survives the lockdown, you know, because um, otherwise I'm screwed, basically. Yeah, I just have to, I'll be dressed in rags within <laughs> once everything's warm. Uh, shall we talk about caves? Um, yeah. You recently played in Peak Cavern. Yeah. Broadcast the other night. I believe people yeah. will still be able to, that's right. I believe people will still be able to, to watch that after this. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd like to say exclusively to people on this uh, Rough Trade webinar that um, it was supposed to be getting taken down in 22 minutes time. But I thought, seeing as we're having this talk, and we probably will mention it, um, it it's extended till 10 o'clock now. So if you fancy, you can, you can watch it. I mean, obviously, I don't like to do the hard sell, but I really, this was one of these situations, like every band, you know, in this situation, you're thinking, right, normally you release a record and then you go and play concerts. Mm. But no one can do that at the moment. So... We were trying to think what we could do and we recorded some of the music for the record in this cave that you mentioned, Pete Cavern. And so again, Jeanette, who I always listened to, said, well, why don't you do a concert in the same place? Obviously not with an audience, but film it like it's a concert and put it, you know, and then people can watch at home. It'd be like a, yeah, like a, a neat, a new form of concert, I don't know, whatever. But uh, so that's what we did. And, uh, you know, the, it, a lot of things could have gone wrong. First of all, as a band, we hadn't played together for four months. So that could have brought its own problems. The cave that we played in was only accessible via a tunnel that was three foot high. So getting the equipment in there was really super difficult. The cave was also very cold. Anybody who knows that case will know that um, they stay at the same temperature it's summer and winter, you know, they, they've got their own kind of climate, which is pretty cold, just above freezing. Uh, we only had like 10 hours to do it in. So there were lots of things that could go wrong, but somehow we all kind of clicked. Uh, we had the filmmakers, Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard, they were made the Nick Cave film, you know, 20,000 Days on Earth a few years ago. They did a great job. Our lighting guy kind of came up with some crazy lighting that I wasn't even aware of until I saw it because obviously I was singing and looking the other way and all this stuff was happening behind. So anyway, I'm very, very proud of it. And, and so I would like people to go and look at it. It's also free. I could just point out it's free. You don't have to buy a ticket. It's free. Could you tell me why, what your, sorry, this seems to be some kind of, Police emergency outside. Yeah. Um, it is really free. I wasn't lying. That, that wasn't the police coming around to arrest me for saying it, it was free when it wasn't free. It's allowing it on another couple of hours. Um, you got into caves 
after reading, was it David Lewis Williams, but I have to check his name, David Lewis Williams, The Mind Inside the Cave, The Mind in the Cave? Uh, well, yeah, no, what it was really was quite a long time ago now, about 10 years ago, I was staying at my mum's with my son, who was pretty young at the time, and I wanted to entertain him one day. And there's a Neolithic, the remains of a Neolithic settlement quite near my mum's. It's called Cresswell Crags. You know, it's the kind of place you would get taken to on a school trip. And so we went to this cave and I was just thinking, and um, I didn't know, but it, apparently it, the only surviving piece of cave art in the British Isles is in Cresswell Crags. And it's just a, a very small carving of a horse's head on a wall. And I was looking at, into this place, you know, with, and as I looked at this carving, I got really emotional, you know, like I started thinking I was going to start crying or something. So I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. You know, um, why would something, you know, some scratches on a wall from thousands and thousands of years ago, how is that having an effect on me now all these years later? And, you know, so, and it kind of made me feel, well, that's the kind of mystery of creativity, isn't it? How either somebody daubs something on a canvas or somebody plinky plonks on a guitar and records it and that thing, somehow you listen to it or you look at it and it produces an emotional reaction in you. That's the mystery of creation, isn't it? So I kind of felt like this was maybe one of the oldest examples of this that I'd ever seen. So yeah, I got excited in the book that you mentioned, The Mind in the Cave, was in the gift shop. You know, you always have to es exit through the gift shop of any place. And it was just there. And I just liked that title, The Mind in the Cave. It seemed very mysterious. And the book's quite a slog to read, but the basic idea is that something happened in those caves that changed our consciousness and gave rise to the creatures that we are now. On, on that note, shall we have a question? Again, I love it. Hello, welcome. What is your question for Jarvis, please? Hello, are you, are, is it me speaking? I'm yes. Laura, so it's nice. It says, gain a love it in your chat. Okay, that's weird. Okay, well, anyway, lovely to see you, Jarvis. Thanks very much for this. Um, I wanted to ask you about the music press because we've just lost Q magazine. Um, and I know that you've obviously been around for, for a while through various kinds of inc um, incarnations of the music press. I wonder how the likes of those um, publications going changes things for you as an artist. Well, actually, you know what? Or you, I didn't know that Q had gone. When... Oh, sorry, bad news. <laughs> two, two days ago, yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, as I digest that shock, I'll try and answer your question. Um, well, yeah, I mean, um, it was like a big deal. Enemy was the first thing that I suppose I was into. Enemy and sounds, I used to buy those. I had a paper round when I was a kid. And uh, I would say, but basically I spent all the money that I got from the paper round on buying those two magazines every week. So, But um, it, it seemed like it was your gateway into knowing about something that you were excited about, you know, because I'd wanted to be in a band from being very young and, and this seemed to kind of give you clues on what you were supposed to be like. So I would get like ideas on what clothes to wear and what kind of haircut to have and stuff like that. And I don't know, 
I don't know whether there is a magazine that does that now. I don't know. I suppose people will get those ideas from something else. But for me, the, the music press was a big deal. And, and um, you know, practicing how you would answer questions or something like that was, was a kind of common fantasy and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But I suppose, I guess it just shows the way, I don't know, maybe the... the uh, place that music occupies has moved a bit from what, what you think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah thanks. Well, I, I hope to see Music Press, as I'm sure other Laura here, uh, hopes to see the Music Press continue to do well in various different ways in the future, being a big magazine fan myself. So thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> thank you. Know, you. I, I agree with you. I think that probably it's moved online a lot. And also, you know, fanzines and things like that. I always kind of, I really like those because you really get like a personality then. So. It won't die. Oh my God, no. We want music press and discos. We want them. No, we need them. <laughs> uh, let's have another question, please. Yeah, uh, so I just wanted to ask, your, um, your album sound, it sounds really like modern sounding. I was just wondering if there's any kind of like contemporary music that you really like that's really influenced um, the sound of the album or just like you just generally really into and um, well i'm very glad you say that nathan that it's modern um it's i would say that's down to the people in the band um but, but i suppose um the music that i've listened to most over the last few years is um it's kind of electronic music and dance music because sometimes i do dj i'm not a professional dj as you know, Laura, because you saw me play some records at Green Man when I was there, you know, you like DJing and that's where I kind of hear new music, I suppose. And um, it's nice to hear music in clubs because it's nice and loud. And, and I like dance music because it's got a function, you know, it makes you dance or it doesn't make you dance. So I think that's part of it. I suppose that I've been exposed to that kind of music and, um, wanted to do something that even though it still had quite a lot of words i wanted the music to have a physical dimension as well so if you can not listen to the words at all and just get into the actual sound of it um so but i, I think a lot of the way it sounds is down to the people you know um, i mentioned before seraphina and emma who were the the, the kind of instrumentalists and then um Adam and Andrew were kind of the bedrock of it. Uh, and, um, and then Jason kind of puts lots of echo on things. <laughs> so it's a bit of a mixture, really. I, I mean, because I think that's what bands should be. It should, I, I don't, I will pass an opinion on what I, you know, if, if somebody plays something, I'll go, oh, do that again, or I like that. But I don't tell people what to play because there would be no point. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would, I would say it's it's down to them. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, question. It's a very good question. Um, okay, we're going with Galaxy S Nine. That's good. We're broadcasting into the, into outer space. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Wait for them to to join us. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Hello. Hi. Ooh, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Um, ah, terrific, thanks very much. 
Um, Jarvis, you said about music uh, as a way of communicating. What record in your collection communicates with you most? Oof. Ooh, well, I think that depends really on what mood I'm in, but um, um, I'm trying to think of records that I've been listening to recently that have had a strong effect on me. I mean, I have found that I've done that a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people have found that during lockdown that they've kind of rediscovered bits of music or, or they've, they've held on to music a bit more than maybe they have over the last few years, you know, um, that it's, um, you, you rediscover its kind of central nature to you. So um, the, the record that I'm going to say, the, um, the, well, the one that means most to me is that I, there's a B-52 song called Dance This Mess Around. Do you know that one? Vaguely. I remember, well, I remember the B-52's first album coming out. Uh, John Peel used to play it a lot. And um, I really, it was a really different sound at, the, at that time. And um, I, I kind of rediscovered that song during lockdown because it's one of my partner's favourite songs. And when I was doing these things that Laura mentioned, these domestic disco things, um, on the very first one of those, I played that record and she started dancing and then I joined. And that's when I realized that this domestic disco thing was going to work because it actually felt like for a moment, it felt like being at a party or being in a club or something. So yeah, that, that's a record that, you know, I first heard when I was 14 or 15. And so it was, it was in a memory bank somewhere, but a long way back. And but then suddenly it came back as fresh as anything, because I suppose partly to do with the title, dance this mess around, that's what, we were trying to do in the domestic disco. We were just trying to find some kind of escape from the situation through dancing this mess around. So yeah, that, that's one that springs to mind, but I think you must find the same thing yourself. It, it, it depends on, on your mood or something. I have plenty of mood, so mine, mine changes a lot. Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's, one that, that's a good question, thank you. Lovely, thank, thank you. you. Dennis McNulty. Your moment is now. Hi Jarvis, Hello. congratulations on the new album and uh, I saw the, uh, the concert last night and it looked amazing. Thank you very much, sir. Um, you're listening back to, to, to uh, your records and there's an environment theme that seems to run through them every now and then. Um, and I know you support Extinction Rebellion and with lockdown happening and return of nature, just be wondering, what you've hopes for the future or do you think there is any for us now oh yeah come on we've got to believe there's a future yeah i i mean i, I yeah i i did a short kind of audio essay for the bbc a, a couple of weeks ago which was about what you're asking me about really that that was the thing that loads of people commented on wasn't it during the lockdown that suddenly i can hear birdsong or there's a heron nesting at the bottom of my garden or, you know, nature seemed to, as soon as we moved out of the way, nature seemed to kind of go into that gap. And people generally seem to be really excited and, and loved it because, you know, we've been hearing such dire warnings about the environment for so long. The idea that nature could make a comeback 
was like everybody was going yeah you know that's great so i think that hopefully that has inspired people to say like well if we can find some way of lessening our impact that nature can rebound and can come back so i think that should be an encouragement really and i hope i hope that it will end up being a something that has a lasting effect that that people will um yeah it be emboldened by it really and say okay it is worth trying to make these changes because it we've seen that it can have an effect you know when it was enforced it was an almost immediate effect wasn't it so um yeah that's my optimistic hope thank you very much dennis uh and kenny I'm gonna take her a minute what's the what's the example of wildlife you've most enjoyed seeing yourself lately jarvis surprising well, the piece that i i i just uh, described now i was on a walk and um there was this bird doing this funny kind of aerial thing and making this weird sound and i later found out it was a hen harrier and they're super rare they're normally only seen on very remote bits of moorland thank you anne is with us hiya hiya hi hi jarvis um gosh you've been so busy lately lots of stuff you um, gig from the cave was absolutely amazing and I'm glad to be able to watch it again tonight after, the, after this. Um, I just wanted to ask really, are you going to be coming back to Radio 6 Music anytime? Oh right, well, um, I did do a little thing for 6, you know, during the lockdown they had this thing where they, they had like yeah. a virtual pub called, what was it called, The Open Arms. Oh and right, yeah. I did a kind of short a 10 minute kind of segment uh, for, that used to go in there called Jarvis in the house, which was basically me just walking into a different room every week and talking about that room. Um, I, I loved doing the radio, you know, that, that, that radio show, uh, the Sunday service was like, it was a dream because I could play whatever I wanted. I, I, I got to interview people. Um, but I kind of stopped doing it because I'd been doing it for seven years and then also I, yeah. I felt that also I had to kind of get these songs finished as well and um, and I just didn't, I wanted to cut all distractions out and, and concentrate on doing that. But you know, if, if I was, I hope that uh, one time I'll get to do some radio again because it's, it's good fun, you know. Yeah, hope so. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We time for a couple more because Jarvis has to go out, don't you? Um, yeah, yeah, I do have to. I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, so Octavio Palmer. All right. Preparation. Octavio, you are with us. Oh no, Stephanie Webb. This is very confusing. I think. Hello. Um, loving the new album. I love the gig last night. But I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, your uh, talk at Chatsworth last year. I really enjoyed it, you, how you talked about how your creativity has evolved over the years. I just wondered if you've got any more plans for talks like that or any plans for them to be released in print form or anything like that. All right, Stephanie. Well, yeah, I mean, there's this mythical book that I'm writing, which it is still a work in progress. And, and a lot of the stuff that I, talk, that I talked about in that um, lecture that you, you said about at Chatsworth is, is in the book as well because it's all 
And it's a bit what, like what we've been talking about this evening, you know, this idea that everybody's creative, really. I really do believe that. I think that creativity is kind of the thing, probably, that sets us apart from all other animals. You know, we're the only creature who will make things that aren't used, you know, they're not, they haven't really got a function. You know, a painting hangs on a wall and you look at it, but it, it doesn't do anything, does it? As in, it doesn't, um, you can't dig a hole with it or it won't keep you warm at night. Well, I suppose you could shelter it, I suppose. But you know what I mean? But no other animal will do that. Everything that other animals do is all about surviving or getting food or whatever. So I think that means that creativity, you could say it's what makes us humans, what's what, what sets us apart. So uh, it's part of all of us. And um, I think that's a positive, you know, it's a nice thing to say. It's a nice thing to know that you've got it inside of you. It's not like some mystical thing that only certain geniuses are touched with. Everybody's got that potential within them. Um, and I think that's, inspiring hopefully so that's what i've been trying to write about thank you yeah i totally agree thank you Stephanie. Right. okay last question um everybody got their hands raised i'm gonna go with <laughs> the pressure is immense we're gonna go with the person who's called themselves jarvis we have to do that, that one. okay is this gonna be like looking in a mirror Hello. Hi. Hi. I had no idea you were going to put me on camera, obviously. Oh. So, my question is, Jarvis, I saw you a few years ago in Manhattan. Oh. Uh, you gig. Um, I think it was when the album with the very important single to me, Cancer Still Running the World, came out. Oh. And you, during that gig, you told a quite long, meandering story about finding a ticket in the jackets. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. So I just wanted to know if that was a true story. Maybe what I'm trying to think is uh, it, what it might be is once I bought um, a second-hand suit in a yeah. in America, and when I got back home, I looked in the pocket. Yeah. And what they were were they were like um, they were like the thing. Um, they were inquiry slips that you would get yeah. at the library asking for a certain book. And yeah. one was called Preparing for Your Own Death. And, and, uh, and the other one was, they were both about basically preparing to die. Yeah. So obviously that was a quite dark thing to find in a second-hand garment, thinking, was this the last thing that this person wore before he died or whatever? Yeah. Um, it set me off on a whole kind of, imaginary journey of trying to recreate this person and it kind of it, it's interesting that you've asked that question because it, i think it again it takes us back to this idea of creativity you know that um you get clues about the world from things that you find like those yeah in a pocket and then you look at them and you, and before you know it you've made up this story about this poor man, maybe he was a university lecturer because it was a tweed jacket, so he probably was a lecturer, and then, then he discovered he was ill in it, you know, and you kind of make up this film inside your head. And we yeah. all do that every day. We're not, not even aware of it half the time. 
Um, and yeah, it's kind of creative. You know, we're, we're inventing a world for ourselves all the time, every single moment. So that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a really good example. I found those tickets again the other day, actually, when I was Did you? when I was clearing the loft out, and the, and so they're probably going to end up in the book when it eventually gets finished. Nice. All right. Sounds lovely, story. I really enjoyed that gig. All right. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you all so much. Um, I'm afraid that is all we have time for in terms of questions and in terms of spending any more time with you, Jarvis, and your crab and your pineapple. You've got to go out. They um, themselves, didn't they? They didn't move. Well, maybe shuffled a little bit. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us this evening. Everybody can go and watch the cave gig now. Yeah, it's on till 10, so... Uh, so you've got just under two hours. Just, just for you. Thank you so much, and have a lovely evening. Cheers, Laura. Thanks a lot. Okay, everyone. Bye. Bye. -bye.